Welcome to the NCJA podcast. This podcast series explores promising practices, provides guidance on strategic planning, and discusses how the Burn Justice Assistance Grant Program, or Burn JAG, contributes to improving justice systems across the country. We hope you enjoy it. Hello, everyone. My name is Jillian Kaplan, and I'm a program manager at the National Criminal Justice Association. On this episode of the NCJA podcast, I am speaking with Shakira Diaz, Chief of Federal Advocacy at the Alliance for Safety and Justice, and Stephen Massey, Director of City Lookout Trauma Recovery Center, to discuss trauma recovery centers, a model to support victims of violence. Thank you both so much for joining us today. I would love if you could start by telling us a little bit more about your backgrounds, and then we'll dive right into the questions. Perfect. Thank you, Jillian. Glad to be here. Shakira Diaz, I am the Chief of Federal Advocacy for the Alliance for Safety and Justice. I am a mom. I actually started professionally as an educator um, and was very fortunate to work at my old high school and TRIO programs upon finishing up my, my undergrad. And I was encountering the world and seeing it very differently than I did when I was a young person. As an educator, I saw that there were differences in how my students were able to access support. I felt unprepared in providing the support that my students and families needed, not because I didn't have the desire or that their families didn't have the desire. There were just so many challenges in the way, which got me interested in policy. I wanted to understand why is it that students in my school had metal detectors but did not have soap in the bathroom, for example. I started doing policy work, became a registered lobbyist, focusing specifically on reform issues centered around justice reforms as well as education. And that led me to the Alliance for Safety and Justice. I have also lived in Cleveland the majority of my life. I am a victim of crime. I'm a survivor. I've known over 40 people who've lost their lives to violence. So I understand this intimately from my own personal experience, but also understand this from a macro policy perspective. And it was really driven into this work out of a desire for better support for young Shakiras and better support for my students, my former students. So that's what motivates me, ensuring that people have the support they need when they need it. Thank you. Hi, and my name is Stephen Massey, and I'm the director of the City Lookout Trauma Recovery Center in Springfield, Ohio. Population size, a little under 100,000. And I am very honored to be here. And a little bit about my background as a Wow, it's been a long journey. (laughs) I started off wanting to save the world as most people in the helping profession did. And I think some of the first acts of service for me was working in group home settings Mm. with youth service uh, boys in group home and working under some champions who really kind of helped me understand what it was all about. And each phase of the journey uh, took me to a different turn. And from there, I started doing some direct care work uh, home settings were honoring people had disabilities. And then from there, I went into AOD work, working in addictions and recovery work. And from there, uh, I was 
pivoted to a direction of working in the mental health field and behavioral health and transitioning over to uh, counseling and, and advocacy, and then also doing some work with reentry, working with restored citizens uh, as an advocate to help them advocate for spaces that they would normally have a lot of hard barriers to face to navigate the systems and, and come back in the community and join us as neighbors after doing their time and also advocating for a lot of those individuals who should not have been incarcerated as long. So having done that work, sometimes I forget all the things I've been honored and blessed to be a part of. And now um, in our center, we've done a lot of trauma work over time. And we'll talk about that here on the podcast has led me to being the director of one of several trauma recovery centers in the United States. Well, we are definitely honored to have you both with us today. So thank you so much for joining us. Let's dive right in. So to lay the foundation for this conversation, Shakira, can you describe what trauma recovery centers or what we can refer to them as as TRCs are and the different components of this program? Yes, I will. Thank you for that. So little context here, the Alliance for Safety and Justice is a multi-state organization that is working specifically to reduce the reliance on incarceration and re-engage and, and increase investments for best practices, proven best practices that stop crime from happening in the first place. One of the pivotal programs that we immediately realized needed to grow across the nation are trauma recovery centers. The origin story of trauma recovery centers, they started out in, in San Francisco. The founder, Dr. Basilari, Dr. Lisa Basilari, was having a conversation with an emergency room doctor about gun violence victims. And the doctor indicated to her, we can sew them up, but we can't make them better. The idea, the, the profound statement that came out of that is that there has to be a healing that happens that is beyond physical, right? And the trauma recovery center was initiated in, in San Francisco. Our organization worked to grow that model around the country. We currently have 41 trauma recovery centers across the nation. And there are specific reasons why they exist. So some may be wondering, well, you know, there are victim services for, right? Like people may be thinking that exists and it does. However, two thirds of crime victims do not get the help that they need overwhelmingly. And often the help that exists is not accessible or crime victims are not aware of. In communities that experience repeat victimization or violence, that support just is almost inexistent. Part of the way that we understand violence, and we know more about violence today than we did 20 years ago or 30 years ago, for example, but some of the impact of unaddressed trauma is lasting. It can lead to the loss of stability. People may not be able to go to work or maintain their homes or keep a home. Coping with drugs or alcohol when they're unable to access support, that's one of the avenues that can lead somebody into the justice system. Also, a key component is that trauma is intergenerational. If parents are struggling, that's going to impact children. The other piece that is often, you know, really key is that crime victims who do not get support 
often experience repeat victimization or contact with the justice system, they become the person who's causing harm to someone else down the road. We often see this sometimes in, in sentencing phases of trial where you get to hear about all the horrible things that happened to someone when they were young. And then you're seeing this person as right as they are about to be sentenced. This work that the trauma recovery centers do intercede in that. And the goal here is that there is, it's not a lost cause. When somebody experiences harm or violence, when they witness harm or violence, the story doesn't have to end there. With proper support and investment that is really centered around that individual, right? I often think about this. I'm a former educator. So I think about this as in the context of IEPs, individual education plans, right? Which children have in schools when they need support. This is an individual healing plan where the crime victim is able to work in partnership with the trauma recovery center professionals on a healing plan that gets them back on track so that they are stable, where they're not relying on, on drugs or alcohol, where they are able to, to stay employed, where they are able to, to stay housed. All of those things are ways to stop crime from happening. And it really is central to the understanding that crisis can become crime if we don't intercede. And this is a great way of interceding. Thank you so much for that. And I know you may have mentioned this before, but I, I think it's important to, to mention it again. How many TRCs are there currently nationwide and in what states are they located? And then once you answer that, can you also tell us how the majority of these centers are funded? Is it state, federal, private funding? So they, currently there are 41 trauma recovery centers in the country, California, Ohio, Illinois, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Florida, Iowa. Stephen, feel free to jump in here. Yes, New Jersey and New York. Yes. And they're still growing. We're, we're working with attorney generals across the country to grow the model. Um, when we talk about funding, funding is coming primarily from VOCA. We also know that trauma recovery centers, in some cases, are able to access either state-based resources or philanthropic support, but it doesn't match the need because of the level of victimization and the fact that many victims of crime are not able to access support for a number of different reasons. It's important to note that trauma recovery centers are very much crime victim-centered. So what is unique about trauma recovery centers from other mental health services is that Sometimes the, the services that are existing or in place are not practical for victims of crime. A lot of mental health services require the person, the client, to go to them. Trauma recovery centers come to the victim and get them to a place where they are able to just be out and about more. They guarantee 16 therapeutic sessions. They ensure that support is provided cross-systemically. For example, a parent who's a victim of a crime may need someone to speak to their children's school to let them know what's going on, some of the challenges that are happening. A crime victim who is now mobily challenged may need additional support that someone who is a sexual assault victim may or may not need. So it's very unique and individualized. So a tailored way to help with healing is what I'm exactly. hearing. Exactly. 
Well, thinking more locally and turning towards Springfield, Ohio specifically, what was the process from soup to nuts of standing up the City Lookout Trauma Recovery Center? Yes, I'll just backtrack real quick to fill in what Shakira had mentioned because it's funny, we these things are growing like wildfire and we're, uh, we're very excited. So I know we've got Southern California, Northern California, Illinois, Iowa, Ohio, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Georgia, Florida, and I think Michigan has, has recently joined. And we have been in conversation with other states as they talk to us about how RTRCs are, are running and what the process was to start, especially if the demographics are similar. So we will see updates join this movement as well. But on a local level, the story started with, we were invited to Columbus here in Springfield, Ohio. We had a standing working relation with our now governor who was then the attorney general, Mike DeWine. And it was proposed to the attorney general's office through victim services, along with ASJ collaborating with other stakeholders and, and leaders across the country where that they brought in who we call the mother, Alicia Doctor, Dr. Alicia Bossolari at, at UC San Francisco. And we were all invited to a meeting where we were told that, hey, this is a model that's viable to change the game for serving survivors. And we see that you're already doing a lot of the work. So I'd start there with saying on a local level, we were already doing some of the work. We weren't a trauma recovery center, but we were doing a lot of trauma work, a lot of counseling, advocacy, working with domestic violence uh, support survivors, even offenders working on both sides of the scope, because we know in order to make a community whole, we can't just disregard one group of people. We have to work with our community, and that's what trauma recovery centers represent. So we were able to, you know, really go back and forth between working with California, leaning on all their expertise, asking them a ton of questions, and making sure we put the pieces in place. So we started off with developing our staff a team of nine clinicians, four crime victims advocates, an outreach coordinator, and a director. And we started to put the pieces together. And we started looking at what other TRCs in California were also doing, and the ones that were developing locally in Ohio. And we all were taking pages from each other's playbook. And from that, we were able to put in place a lot of support working with local people like the, the courts, our victims witness programs, our shelters, housing partners, law enforcement, working with all types of people who could support us. If I could take a minute, I, I have this cheat sheet that I use. And really what it does, it, it helps to, to give you the idea of what happens in the life of uh, someone who works for a TRC. And this can range from us doing advocacy work, doing funeral arrangements, court company, working with youth, crime victims compensation, doctor's appointments, visitation, working with children, all types of resources, helping people back into trades, colleges, safety planning. And I could go down this list. So I might save some of it for some of the other questions. But if you think about that, it would entail getting the community partners involved, like stores, resources, auto dealerships, auto mechanics, transportation, safety planning, working around getting cameras, phones, uh, making sure families are stable, making sure that their needs are met, getting them the counseling. So there's a lot of moving pieces and each TRC is gonna look different. Ours is a community-based one. So we're not connected to a larger hospital system, which gives us a lot of flexibility to tailor our needs for our survivors to 
what our community looks like. Yeah. Just to jump in on that a little bit, I think it's important. All the services and support that Stephen outlined, which is what the level of support that the TRCs provide crime victims, it really helps affirm the, this fact. You are more than your victimization. So it looks at the whole person and the needs that they have to get them on track, often above and beyond where they were. So it's meeting someone where they're at and taking them to a level of stability that they may or may not have experienced prior to victimization, which is why it's important to have those partnerships to ensure that there is coordination with other systems which is all integral part of the model and unique. You are more than your victimization. I think that is a takeaway that we should all probably take from this. And Stephen, you've touched on what stakeholders that you've had engaged, which is essentially the entire community. But how did you ensure that those stakeholders, those right people were at the table? A lot of meetings, a lot of engagement, a lot of strategy, and a lot of just consistency with staying the course and making sure that we we wanted to help them understand what this model could do for the community as a whole, making sure that we invited them in the space to do what they do best. Uh, if we talk about our Child Advocacy Center, they're already in place. They do great work with working with children and families around advocacy when it's related to victimization or stability or just resetting or just lifting them up, elevating them. And that's just one partner of many uh, working with our victims witness department, helping them understand that their role and scope is similar to what we do, but we do a lot of different things and, and that we can actually take the warm handoff. Mm -hmm. and, and also we can help them in forming the trust with survivors where the system has failed a lot of survivors through not to say anything bad about victims witness services through the courts, but you know, I always say this, that many times where we were called for support when there was a victim or survivor, it was the grand jury. So mm -hmm. now we have this viable relationship and partnership with the courts and victims witness services. And this is just one example, as, as Shakira mentioned, that we can help all survivors. And this is like not a one and done. And that we can also help them understand that you have rights and you can exercise them the way that you feel comfortable with. You can be honored. But also, too, we will walk with you and make sure that you're not exploited anymore. Super important. You know, the, the justice system may have different goals, but the TRC's central goal here is the stability of the crime victim. So that that's always going to be central. And I know that you mentioned an array of services that a victim can receive from the TRC, but could you just give us kind of a laundry list of the types of services that someone can receive from your TRC and then also who is eligible to receive them? Yeah, I'm going back to my list again. I, I just <laughs> believe that, I believe this list is, this is really, you know, I, I, we've, we've been in presentations and I've had people email me and say, could you just send me that? That pamphlet you were holding and I'm thinking yes I can so I share it with them and so you know there are things on this list that you don't really think about but this is the life of a person who mm -hmm. has value and this is important to them you know one that you probably wouldn't even expect to hear on this on this cast is that pet safe making sure that a survivor's pet is safe and that we can take care of them because that's family to them you know 
the intake process, various forms of therapy, survivor-centered services, notaries, in-home advocacy, registering them with buying victims information identification, which gives them a knowing where that person that may have exploited them is if they want to know, and just giving them that comfort, housing, navigating old warrants to make sure that they don't have to worry about the burden of something weighing over them that will prohibit them from healing and being safe and being able to move forward uh, and feeling like they don't have the right to even like be a survivor. Outreach initiatives, locks, cameras, uh, personal items, housing, food, doctor's appointments, once again, protection orders, legal aid, uh, helping them with their voice and stories, like through maybe a speaker's bureau process down the road when there's an opportunity for them to feel like they want to tell their story and be empowered, have a platform to be elevated. Working with landlords, just helping them with equity across the board, translation services, coaching, working with data sets to help them understand that they can go into a deeper level of um, survivorship. I have one survivor, he wrote a book and he has his own 501c3 and uh, he's a very wow. bright young man. Well, his brother got shot and uh, and he has his own 501c3 where he worked with youth. And through the TRC, when I was sitting with him at a point in time where he was in the fetal position, as he started to heal, these were some of the dreams he had. And today he's like, he's like rocking the house. And I just get to sit back and watch the show. College, trades, there's just so many things that we can offer for survivors on their healing journey that goes way beyond just the basic, uh, we, wanna, we want you to feel better. You know, Stephen, that story you shared about that crime survivor, it makes me think of like all of the things that could have gone wrong, right? A lot of what we see as community violence sometimes can be stemmed from retaliation. So investing in this young man whose brother was a crime victim, one helped elevate him, prevented him from, you know, retaliating, right? And instead he started his own nonprofit. That's the kind of work that we want to see multiplied across the country because it is this restoration of hope. And that, that's how we believe we elevate safety for all across the country is by restoring hope and providing that level of support. Because when we leave someone to their own devices, when they are the most vulnerable and they feel alone and abandoned, the outcome of that is not a good one. And we all feel the outcome of it. Yes, I agree. And, you know, it's understanding that by helping the individual, we're helping our entire community. And, and that's really what it sounds like you all are doing with these TRCs. You've given us one amazing success story. I wanted to ask a little bit more about some other successes that you may have had, but also some challenges that you experienced when implementing your TRC or others across the country. You can't really put limitations on what a TRC will become once you get the work started and you do it and you start. Uh, with this process of vision and, and, and moving into the direction of what's next. And so uh, a couple other highlights is that we've been able to work with law enforcement and do debriefing after critical incidents where we've had some mass shootings. We work with Oregon district shooting survivors, uh, but in this, the mass shooting debriefings where we work with law enforcement first responders, we've been able to do uh, group counseling with them also uh, advocacy to help them, 
help the people who are trusted to serve and protect our community. Uh, another highlight, which is trending, is that we've been able to do a lot of work in school over the last two years through our ERC. Now we're working with youth and adolescents. We uh, actually go into one school where we bring in an age-appropriate curriculum, and it's tailored to help draw survivors, and the school loves it. We're uh, now the TRC are a part of school systems and youth. So now we're looking at intervention and prevention for our young people who have a lot of trauma or who have experienced it, or even to help them understand that you don't have to go into those spaces if you're not already in those spaces. It's just a lot going on. If I were to say some of the challenges that we've had here locally, that we know this model is designed, one of the strong components is that we want to impact people who've been in a trauma one and two hospital settings. And since we're a community based and we're in a city that really doesn't grasp that concept fully because we're not part of the hospital or partner of it, we've had to continue to fight to get them to understand the value in what we do and how we can help serve people who need to be dignified after they've been a victim of a crime. And, but we're working on it and we, we've had some success there, but I'd like to see more and I will continue to stay hopeful that work through that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I have no doubt you'll be successful. As a final question for state administering agencies who are interested in using burn JAG or VOCA dollars to fund TRCs, what are some takeaways that they should know as they embark on this process? First and foremost, we are happy to partner with anyone who is seeking to learn more about trauma recovery centers. We have worked with state leaders and administrators on how to use federal funds in such a way that helps grow trauma recovery centers. So I'll offer that first and foremost. I do want to be able to provide a, a couple, some insights here about the return of a trauma recovery center. The TRC model costs 30% less than usual care. And a lot of that is because they're handling the navigation and coordination with other systems on behalf of the crime victim. Generally, the budget for a trauma recovery center is $1.2 million, and that allows trauma recovery centers to serve 750 clients per year. I like to view that as 750 families, so it's, it's much larger than the direct crime victim. We see reductions in a number of things and growth in a number of other areas. Victims experience improvement in health and life functioning. 74% show an improvement in mental health. 51% show an improvement in physical health. 52% show a decrease in alcohol use. PTSD symptoms decreased by 46%. Depression symptoms decreased by 47%. So again, this, for, from our perspective, is a comprehensive way of stopping crime from happening before it happens. The way that we see the growth happening, again, we started, there was one TRC, and now we're at 41 across several states. And it is a model that's not viewed as controversial. We have TRCs in, in these states. We have TRCs in our states. Everyone understands the practicality of why this is necessary. And it's key to elevate the fact that no one is turned away from a trauma recovery center. There are some mental health agencies who may not serve people with past convictions or people with complex mental health diagnoses. TRCs do not do that. The doors are open for everyone, but it's important to, to elevate that. But key to trauma recovery centers 
One is expanding TRCs to every state in any community that is struggling with violence. That's first and foremost. Expanding technical assistance and training to grow fidelity to the model because that's very, very key. Developing a pipeline to grow the number of specialists who work within Trauma Recovery Center and collecting and analyzing data to monitor impacts. Burn Jack is one of the most flexible funds that exist. I really can't think of any other one that has the potential within the federal scope as Burn Jack. Within the scope of elevating public safety, and innovation, Trauma Recovery Centers fits right into that. And we're happy to partner with any state administrator willing to learn more, bringing in leaders such as Steve Massey here, who is one of the best TRC directors in the country, as well as bringing in the founder and other TRC directors. So we're here, we're ready. And overall, again, our our goal here is to stop crisis from turning into crime. Yes, I, I would just echo that. I think Shapira has said it all. And uh, we have the saying that's been trending throughout our collaborative TRCs nationwide, that what would we do without the Alliance of Safety and Justice? It's just something that we say now because they have advocated for us to, to grow these TRCs and to help us keep our table TRC stabilized. I would challenge anyone who wants to be a part of this to reach out to the Alliance of Safety and Justice reach out to UC San Francisco, reach out to your local legislators and tell them that there's something that they need to know about. And to also look at the National Alliance of TRCs, get on the website and find that information and see the, the data information and the things that are happening with TRCs nationwide. Patients and also finding uh, supplemental funding streams are gonna be critical to uh, create that sustainability and traction for TRCs. But I would say that if someone wants their community to change, they should look into what the PRC model presents and what it has to offer. Well, I have a feeling that the Alliance for Safety and Justice is going to be getting some calls after this podcast. Um, I just want to thank you both so much. This conversation has been incredibly impactful and informative. And again, just want to thank you for sharing your knowledge, your experiences, and your stories. Thank you for having us. Broader, thanks.